Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, I'm Jeff Brown from the Read to Lead podcast. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger Show. Hey, this is Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets. And if you want to be a leader, and if you want to learn how to network like me, and if you want to learn how to invest in your relationships, or you should be listening to Build Your Network, to the Build Your Network podcast, Build Your Network podcast with my good friend Travis Chapel. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another topic episode here on Build Your Network. So for those of you who are new to the show, basically what happens is every single Monday, I bring on a powerhouse rock star entrepreneur and I interview them. But then what happens every Wednesday is I take bits and pieces from past Monday episodes, so past interviews, and then I put them all into one episode all around one topic just so that it's like really actionable, bite-sized niche content for you to consume. So today's topic episode is Keys to Podcasting Success with Jeff Brown, Jordan Harbinger, and Brandon Turner. Now, Jeff is actually my podcast coach, the guy that got me started. When I reached out to John Lee Dumas at first, Jeff was the guy that he put me in touch with, and uh, I learned learned a lot of stuff from Jeff. He's got like 28 years of broadcasting experience prior to starting a podcast. So when it comes to the ins and outs of podcasting specifically, and especially interviewing and uh, vocal tonality, 
and, and inflection and things like that. Jeff is a, a really, really great guy to learn from. And then Jordan Harbinger, I mean, this guy is literally the OG of podcasting. He's coached people like Tim Ferriss on how to podcast. He's helped and consulted with a lot of high level and high net worth individuals and companies on podcasting because he was one of the first like 500 podcasts on iTunes. He started his show 12 years ago before the first iPhone came out and uh, he's been doing it ever since. And now he's got a show, the Jordan Harbinger show that gets about 6 million downloads per month. Just interviewed Kobe Bryant recently. He's had uh, other people like Shaq on and uh, Charlemagne the God. He's um, just just going on a, a crazy, crazy guest tour right now with all the people that he's bringing on. And um, he is one of the best interviewers that I know personally and uh, one of the best all around podcasters as well. So uh, you'll hear from him as well on Keys to Podcasting Success. And then Brandon Turner, who is the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, the largest real estate investing podcast in all of iTunes and probably the largest real estate investing community in the world. I mean, they have over a million people, I think, now in their forums and community and things like that that they've uh, created over the last uh, 15 years or so being uh, online, creating content all around real estate investing. So Jeff Brown, Jordan Harbinger, uh, Brandon Turner, all talking about keys to podcasting success. And I can't wait to share that with you in just one second. But before I do, if you want to know how I build and maintain relationships with a lot of people here on the show, it is through podcasting as well. And uh, man, that's, that's why we're starting to put out episodes like this that just highlight how amazing podcasting is for so many reasons. But since this is the Bilge Network podcast, one of the biggest reasons is for your network to grow and expand your network on purpose with people who typically probably wouldn't be able to give you the time out of their day. But since you have an audience and a platform, a way for them to share their message, you have a way to add value to those people. And so podcasting has been one of the, if not the biggest way that my network has absolutely exploded in the last couple of years. Um, So if you are a six or seven figure business owner and you want to start a podcast in addition to the other things that you have going on this year, you understand how important it is to create content, um, but maybe you just don't want to go through the ins and outs of learning how to do it or maybe even doing it. Maybe you want to outsource a lot of those things or um, you want to kind of jump ahead, skip rungs on the ladders or shorten the runway to success with podcasting. Uh, then head over to travischapel.com slash apply. Travischapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash apply uh, because I'm taking on a few clients at the moment and it will be pretty full pretty quickly uh, We've taken on four clients in the past week, um, and so right now we're uh, only allowing a couple more clients on before we shut it off for a couple of months. Uh, but six and seven figure business uh, owners only. If you uh, have a six or seven figure uh, business and you want to add an additional income stream or amplify your message or your brand through podcasting, then first of all, this is going to be a really great episode for you to listen to. <laughs> but also, be sure to go to travishapple.com/apply um, and at least just have a conversation with me, and we'll figure out if we're a good fit to work together. So um, I'll hopefully chat with you soon right over there. And if I do not, maybe I'll see you over in the Facebook group, which is just travishapple.com/group. All right, that is it. No more ado. Here is Keys to Podcasting Success with Jeff Brown, Jordan Harbinger, and Brandon Turner. Well, yeah, I, I, I think you, you hit on the key word, genuine. Uh, I use words like altruistic. Um, for me, um, when social media has been so helpful in this regard, what I try to do is something I learned from Chris Brogan, uh, a guy I have a lot of respect for years ago, probably 10 years ago now, when I first learned this from him and, and as social media was just sort of coming up 10 years ago, I try to be intentional about promoting other people's stuff 
just by nature without them asking when I see they've got something going on, they're sharing it on social media. I just, I'm quick to go in and retweet something or share something on Facebook or comment or like, or do anything I can that's going to help that thing that they're working on or promoting get seen by more people again, without expecting anything in return. Um, and, and I find that when, I, and I did that pretty consistently, you know, in, uh, late last decade leading up to the launch of my, my own big deal, my own podcast, again, not doing it because I knew I was going to launch a podcast. I literally didn't realize until three or four months before launch that I, that's something I was going to do. But what I found Travis was when I did launch my podcast and I began reaching out to people about helping me get the word out that people, it was like a line formed. It was like, absolutely, we'll help you with this. And, and other people who, like I was doing, did it without my asking. And, and then virtually everybody I did ask said yes and, and did so generously. And I think a lot of that had to do with my altruistic behavior leading up to that where I just you know, shared other people's stuff 10 times as much as I shared my own. So if I still try to do that today, I'm probably not as good about it as I, as I used to be. But I try to do it at least a few times a day every day on for me, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook primarily. Yeah. Being a proponent of other people's work is a very, very practical takeaway from that. Um, and I found the same exact thing to be true. And, and I know you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, but uh, there's been so many uh, connections I've been able to cultivate. And I found the same thing when I launched my podcast, the people that I reached out to um, were people that I had helped push their stuff in the past and mm. so, it, like you said, it was like a line, you know, people were very, very, very supportive um, coming into uh, the launch of the podcast just because, you know, a year and a half ago when they had this contest they were trying to win, I went and helped them, you know, I voted the five times, Matt, you know what I mean? <laughs> whatever, whatever right. it might be, if you just, if you're all, if you're constantly looking for opportunities to help other people grow and push and, pro, and, and push their stuff and be a proponent of what they have um mm then uh, then it'll always it'll always come back to you and 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 I think that's the key though is is not really thinking about how that's going to happen just doing it and um and doing it for the sake of building that genuine connection with somebody else so right now I am relaunching I did another show called the art of charm for 11 plus years and I finally left that company it's kind of long overdue and now I am doing the Jordan Harbinger show, which is great because I'm no longer tied to a brand. I don't especially love the <laughs> drama associated with being inside a company that has those kind of those issues is no longer a part of my life. And 90 plus percent of the team has come with on this new venture. So oh, even nice. though it didn't happen in the way that I would have wanted it to, it's actually an amazing opportunity because now Everybody who I love working with is still with me. We have to rebuild brick by brick. However, that's kind of the beautiful part about starting a new show is I've got all the relationships and the skills that I need to do it. I did it the right. first time. It took 11 and some years. This time it's going to take like one. Right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect 
with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Right. Yeah, that's a little bit what you and I were talking about. We just saw each other down at Trafficking Inversion in San Diego. And it's a little bit of what I think I was talking about with you and then also with your wife, Jenny, a little bit. I was an avid listener. I still am an avid listener of your show. And the reason that I love listening to your show was because of your interview technique and your skill and ability to be able to pull some really great content from the guests that you have on. You have amazing guests that come on the show, but you also are, are very, very crafty in the way that you are able to ask good questions that cultivate great content. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to where this show ends up taking you, bro. I think that this is going to you know, skyrocket you to the next level, honestly. Thank you, man. Yeah. Initially, it was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. I can't believe it. How did this happen to me? I'm so sad. And now I'm like, wait a minute. I would have been lazily plodding along in the old brand, doing the old show, dealing with all the old stuff and going, well, I don't really have a choice. Since the choice was made for me, it's like, wait a minute. Now I've got an opportunity for a fresh start with all the same... It's kind of... You know when people go, what would you do if you had to start over? Or what would you do differently knowing what you know now? And now I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I get to actually do that, right? Yeah. I get to actually lean on all of my friends and I get to actually lean on my network and I get to actually lean on my skill set built over 11 and a half years. And I get to bring my awesome friends and team with me that are already mm -hmm. trained and already like what they're doing. This is what I would do. You know, and now I get to rebuild it again, which is actually quite cool. And grind again, like I'm 27, only now I'm 38. And I get to do it in a way that makes sense. And it's not like, oh, I guess I'm trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not and throw stuff at the wall in my business and see what sticks. I don't have to do that anymore. I can just focus on things that have worked for me in the past, test a few new things. And it's just a completely different game. I mean, the amount of downloads that the Jordan Harbinger show has as of the first... We're not even a month in. We're about two and a half, three weeks in. Mm -hmm. I have more downloads of an, the Simon Sinek episode that I'm looking at right now of that show. It took me nine years to get Art of Charm to get that many downloads for an episode. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's crazy. And, and that's not even a month of shows. I mean, in three months, we could actually potentially be bigger than 
the art of charm ever was for various reasons. <laughs> That's incredible. And I'd listen to that episode, by the way, the one with Simon Sinek. And again, bro, like I just have to applaud your interview ability. It's something that like, I never spent any time thinking about that, like at all. When I first started my podcast, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, you talk to people and like you ask them questions and then that's about it type thing. I never even thought of sure. interviewing as like a skill set or an ability or something to cultivate or get better at over a long period of time. And then I started interviewing people and I was like, oh man, I suck at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't blame you, man. It took me, I didn't even think about interviewing at all as a skill for the first six or seven years of the show. It was only, which sounds dumb now, now that I think about it, but it sounds silly. But what, the way I learned about it was I interviewed Robert Greene, author of The 48 Laws of Power. And at the end of the interview, he goes, man, why did this take so long? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you and I have been on each other's radar for a while. And I went, well, you know, I didn't think I was going to do a good job. And he goes, no, this is literally probably one of the best interviews I've done all year. And it was like December or something. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I went, what? Really? Are you serious? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you really prepared and you did a good job. And, and that was enough of a confidence boost for me. But I've been doing the show for seven years that I went, oh, I should work on this because maybe I do have a knack for this. But it was, I had no knack for it. I just spent seven years stumbling around and I was just kept doing it that I got good enough at it that I was better than most people at that point who had interviewed him. And he was probably in a good mood, right? So, <laughs> so I took that and I ran and went, oh, I'm going to get really good at this. You know, I'm going to get really good at this now. Was there any like books or audios that you listened to? Or was it just kind of like studying what other people did, like watching, you know, Larry King or, you know, listening to Tim Ferriss or other people like that, that really helped you be able to do that? Or was it honestly just the fact that you just did so much of it all the time that you just continuously, continuously got better? Yeah. I mean, Tim didn't have a show back then. I helped him launch his show in 2013 or 2014, maybe. I'm not okay. sure when he started. Might wow. be even later than that. And I put helped him launch in air quotes because there were, it was me and my producer and a couple other people. I didn't exactly, it wasn't like, I was like, here's how you turn your microphone on. You know, he's, <laughs> he, but, uh, but we helped him get that, that whole thing off the ground podcast wise. Cause he used, it's funny to say this. I remember him emailing me a long time ago and being like, Hey, I'm a fan of your show. And I was like, Oh, okay. You're writing a book. Congratulations. Four hour work week. <laughs> Sounds weird. And then I read it. And I was like, this is a really good book. And he's like, thanks man. I hope it takes off. And now I'm like, Oh my God, look at this guy. <laughs> Oh, so yeah that man that was a long time ago man that was like a decade ago but yeah i watched probably 300 larry king interviews and i was like oh i like some of this and i don't like a lot of the rest of it so i i have a whole list of things i learned from larry king many are do this and the other the bigger list is don't do this and it's not because he oh he doesn't know what he's doing it's larry king for god's sake he's like the godfather of this stuff that's still around anyway it's because I went, oh, that was really cool for TV. That was really cool for radio. Now I'm, I am a natively digital interviewer. And that the distinction really doesn't matter for our purposes here. But I focus on podcasting in a way that is... the Andrew Warner from Mixergy told me recently, nobody thinks about podcasting like you do, which is kind of a funny compliment because what he means is, holy crap, are you anal about everything you do in this process? Because <laughs> he's really oriented. You know, he does a pre-interview. He pushes you hard. He's got prep. He's got questions. He's got this. He reads your stuff. Da, da, da. And he looked at my stuff and he was like, man, lighten up, you know? So, <laughs> so I am very much a digital native interviewer and I focus on it to the, not to the detriment of anything else, but me, my producer and everybody here, we realize that the show is the product. Whereas a lot of interviewers and podcasters 
the podcast is like one of their channels and they also do Snapchat and they're selling an ebook, but really the thing is webinars and they're on LinkedIn and they do paid acquisition. Our product at the Jordan Harbinger show, our product is the show, Hmm. right? So it's not that we're not going to have events. It's not that we're not going to have offerings and courses and online stuff. It's not like we're not going to do anything else. And it's not like I'm not on Instagram. It's just that the show has to be really, really good because that's where we're competing. We're competing against everyone else for the best interview show around. And I think we're doing a damn good job of that. And my team is obsessed with quality. My team is obsessed with making sure every show solves a problem. Every episode has worksheets that help people apply what the guest is teaching. Hmm. Every episode has extensive show notes so that people know what they're going to learn when they listen. Every episode is cut. There's an average of, I think, 900 to 1,500 edits in each episode that my producer does to cut out filler words from the guests to cut out unnecessary silences, to cut out flubs, to cut out tangents, to cut out unnecessary promotion by the guest, to cut out stupid references that don't make any sense, to cut out jokes that didn't land. And I'd like to say that's all on behalf of the guest, but a lot of times it's my jokes that don't land. (laughs) And so those are all cut out because we realize that a minute of a listener's time is worth a lot to that listener. And when you extrapolate that and you say, okay, we're serving... 5 million podcast episodes this month. 5 million episodes are downloaded. Each one is roughly an hour long, maybe a little less. Let's say it's 5 million hours. So that's a lot of minutes, man. I'm going to do some back of the napkin math here. Hold on a second. 5 million hours is roughly 300 million minutes. And so that's a lot of minutes. So if you cut out one from a show or two or 10 or 20, you just saved hundreds of thousands of minutes thousands of hours of people's time. And we're very cognizant and conscious of that because every minute that you get from the listener is earned. And Mm -hmm. if you're not earning it, they're going to turn you off and go somewhere else. And they should. They should do that. So I look at every interview as I'm an advocate for the listener. I used to be an attorney, which is an advocate job, right? You are an advocate for your client. I look at that as that's how I approach the show. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals, which are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Guys, this is probably the sponsor that I use the most of anything. I was just listening to a book um, like literally an hour before I'm recording this right now. So I I use Audible all the time, and it is one of the most powerful resources that you can use for your personal development journey. Audible keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. You'll finish more stories when you listen with Audible and always be part of the conversation. With a convenient app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device. I listen at the gym, while shopping, in the car, while traveling. Anytime you can't read, you can listen with Audible. Audible members now get more than ever before. Every month you choose an audiobook, regardless of price, as well as two Audible originals from a fresh selection. Plus, members stay motivated and inspired with unlimited access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs. Sign up for free updates from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, delivered daily to the app. Audible members can also easily exchange any title that they don't love at any time. Plus, you keep your library of listens forever, even if you cancel your subscription. So start a 30-day trial and choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Free, guys. At least do the trial because you get free stuff. Go over and make sure you start your Audible trial ASAP. Out of all the sponsors that I bring on the show, like I said, this is the one that I use the most by far. I highly recommend jumping in, starting with Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers. 
um, awesome, awesome information about networking, about how to connect with other humans, which obviously is huge here on the Built Network podcast. Plus, the audio was produced like a podcast. So the audiobook is is Malcolm Gladwell actually doing a lot of the things. Plus, it has a ton of voiceovers, narration, and the like. So start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook I recommend, starting with Talking to Strangers and two Audible Originals absolutely for free. Visit audible.com slash network or text network to 500-500. That's audible.com slash network or text network to 500-500. So every single episode has to solve a problem. It has to provide some practical things that people can learn. And I spend every minute of my life studying the thoughts, the actions, the habits of brilliant people, finding out what I can ask them so that the audience can apply that same wisdom for themselves. So I want to take their superpowers and deliver that to the audience. And if I can't do that and I just end up with an interesting story, I don't know if we have a show there, right? It's not about the guest. It's what the guest can teach to the listener. So every show, I'm not trying to be friends with the guest. I'm not trying to be friends with you know the person who I'm interviewing. I'm trying to get them to like me or anything. I'm not even trying to get the most entertaining thing I can out of them. I'm trying to get the thing out of them that the listener can take with them and go, I learned this from the Jordan Harbinger show. Because otherwise, you're just entertaining people. There's a place for that. But you become a commodity at that point if you're just mm-hmm. entertaining people. And frankly, Jimmy Fallon's better at it. So I can't <laughs> lean on that. Yeah, that was like the most interesting part of this whole thing for me, bro, was when we, because obviously when, uh, for anybody listening out there, me and Jordan got the chance to hang out a little bit when we were out in Australia at a podcasting conference out there. And I believe it was Omar Zenholm that was up talking about how many hours on average you research your guests before you actually have them on and interview them. How many hours do you research your guests, bro? And then what exactly does that mean? Like, How can you possibly fill up that much time with, with research? Yeah. So I spend an average of six to 10 hours and I've tracked this sometimes 12, usually not, usually average around eight to 10 hours. And so I'll be real though. The majority of that is me reading their book and taking notes. Okay. So I don't do this thing where it's like, oh, uh, I've got an interview with Travis in a minute. Okay. Let me Google them. All right. I'm writing their bio all right, cool. Here's his LinkedIn profile. Okay. I see that he went to school at university of Chicago or whatever. Okay, cool. I went to seminary school. All right. Awesome. Right. I'm not doing that. I'm reading their book from cover to cover. And I mean, like I'm reading the dedication. I'm reading the epilogue. I'm reading the stuff in the appendix sometimes. I mean, if it's a bunch of math equations, forget it, but I'm going through the whole book. I'm taking notes. So I've got to pause it. I do audiobooks. I got to pause it a hundred times an hour write things down on my phone, iPad or computer, take notes. Then it's like, oh, they gave a TED Talk. I'm going to watch that. Okay, cool. I want to read some of the most upvoted comments on their YouTube channel from some of their talks because there might be people there who are like, I'm a cognitive scientist and this person's main thesis is wrong. And then somebody else is like, no, it's not. Look at this evidence. I'll go there, look at that, read that evidence. I'll go on Amazon. I'll look at their critical interviews. uh, Sorry, critical reviews. Most helpful critical review because a lot of times critical reviews on Amazon are like, this was boring. But the most helpful critical review would be like, oh, I really like this, but here's a glaring flaw in their research process is that this can't be reproduced and other scientists disagree with them and blah, blah, blah. I'll read that too. So then I go to their Wikipedia page. I read the Wikipedia article naturally, but there's also the talk page, which is where the Wikipedia editors argue incessantly about what goes in the article and what's been cut out of the article. And there's a lot of little anecdotes in there And like I said, I read the prologue and the epilogue 
to the book because that's where you see stuff like, oh man, this random talk show host that I'm interviewing or this random personality, hip hop guy, whatever, dedicated the book to their surrogate mother. What does that mean? What happened to your real mother? Who's the surrogate mother? How did she raise you? How did you meet her? Oh, you're not adopted by her, but she was your neighbor because your sister raised you, but then your sister got into drugs and then left you and the neighbor ended up raising you. That's the story, not the stuff that's in the book. Hmm. That's the story that I want to learn about this person. Maybe they didn't even write about that because it wasn't about cognitive science. But the story that I want to start with is that. And you don't get that when you Google the person and read the first page or when you have an intern read the book or you read a summary from InstaRead. You don't get that. Right, right. That's what I was going to ask. So when you go into the interview, do you have like questions planned out and written ahead of time? Or is it just like topics that you really want to dive into and then you just kind of let the conversation unfold from there? Yeah. So what I do, what my notes look like, in fact, I'm just going to like real time go into my show prep and I'm going to bust out some prep. So I interviewed, I'm going to bust out Bill Browder. So Bill Browder is Putin's enemy and Vladimir Putin. What he did is he's responsible for some legislation in Congress called the Magnitsky Act. He's also taken down a lot of Russian oligarchs and stuff like that. And he wrote this book called Red Notice. And I had him on the show. He's a billionaire hedge fund guy. And he's taken down all these Russian bad guys who murdered his lawyer and friend. And he's doing that because he's pissed off at Vladimir Putin and his cronies for murdering his lawyer and friend for uncovering a tax fraud in the Russian government where they stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the Russian citizens, really. So the theme was courage. And I'm writing out all these things from his book and all these articles are linked in my prep and all this stuff. And the theme was courage. And I highlight different things of different colors in my show prep, right? And some of the questions I have are, okay, you went to Poland and you learned how to take over these things, but were you scared? Who was your mentor during this time? And these are things that are kind of touched on the book where it's like, yeah, he ends up working for this guy out of New York and the guy just gives him a bunch of cash and tells him to go to Eastern Europe. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. The other guys were ignoring you. You get this cowboy who's literally a cowboy who works in New York, who's this grouchy finance guy. What did you learn from that guy? Because he just gave him, he gave Bill Browder a bunch of travel vouchers and blank checks, which is clearly not corporate protocol, right? For this investment bank. (laughs) He goes, just take this stuff and then we'll figure out how to make it work later once you've made us $25 million from this $2 million. And he's like, just don't screw it up. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Great story, but what did you learn from this? And he goes, oh man, you know, I learned that the only way to do business in the Wild West or the Wild East of Eastern Europe is to be like a cowboy like this guy, Bobby, out of New York. And the reason it worked was because he shot first and asked questions later. And, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And there's all this kind of little maxims that he learned that just didn't make it into the book. And the reason is because the book was a story about these crazy situations he's found himself in. It wasn't a how-to manual, but I turned this into a learning episode for the listener. And I've got questions here like, you are taking down these Russian oligarchs. These are mafia guys. They start coming after you. What are you thinking? You're 33 years old. Why are you doing this? Go home, get a safe job. What is your problem? And he's like, no, I had ego attachment. I was making money. I didn't want to leave behind. I was 33 years old. I wasn't scared of anybody. I should have been, but I wasn't. He's like, my wife, you know, our relationship was falling apart and we divorced and she went back. I didn't have anything else. I had to prove to myself, to my friend's family that I wasn't a failure. And that's why I kept doing this. And I went, oh, okay. So 
how do we reproduce these types of feelings without ruining our family and our lives and stuff? And he's like, oh, let me think about this. So we go through these thought processes, these mental models that these successful people use. And that's what I'm trying to get out of the guest. And it doesn't matter if it's a senator or Simon Sinek or a billionaire hedge fund guy or a body language expert or an attorney for Michael Jackson. They've all got mental models they use and they've all used these mental models consciously or not to become successful. And that's what we're teasing out on the Jordan Harbinger show because nobody else, including these people, is thinking about this stuff. You start the bigger pockets podcast. Was that like successful right from the get-go because you already had kind of a community built online or did it take a while for it to gain traction? Yeah, a little of both. I mean, like it was successful in terms of we, we definitely had a bigger launch than most people have because of our audience. I mean, we, at the time we had a hundred thousand people on our email list. And so, I mean, it was a large chunk to be able to email out. So I think the first episode ever had 5,000 downloads, something like that, like within the first week or so. Like that was substantial. I remember setting a goal. I said, within 12 months, I want to be one of the top 10 business podcasts within 12 months. And it took like three hours. I mean, like we were definitely, you know, hit up there and we generally, you know, are somewhere in the top rankings because we have a big audience. But at the same time, like there's a lot of shows that have a large audience. And I think the consistency, I mean, we've not missed a show in five years now, not missed a week. Every Thursday at midnight, five years straight has come out. And people, I think, like that. Yeah, the yeah. consistency there. I mean, how many people start podcasts, right? And then like three months later, they're bored and they're onto something else. 90%, man. That's the last statistic yeah. I heard. 90% of podcasters don't make it past episode number seven. Is wow. Like, yeah, I totally believe it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. What, what's, what's been like the biggest value add to your guys' core business branching off from the podcast? Because podcasting is something that I'm obviously... I really like. I enjoy. I'm pretty passionate about. I try to get almost everybody to start a podcast just because I see so much value in it. What are a couple of the things that you would say like, hey, if if we didn't do this, if we didn't use this medium and take take advantage of this like awesome opportunity, then we probably wouldn't have gotten this or this or this. Yeah. Good question. So a few things, if I'm following your question right and tell me if I'm misthinking about this, but so the podcast itself, like, you know, we did the podcast and that what, I mean, I'm, you, I'm sure you'll agree. Like podcasting build relationships at scale, right? Like, so why I like them. I mean, how many times do people say to you or me or any podcaster, I feel like I know you. And like when I met John Lee Dumas one time, I was like, I feel like I know you. Like, and when I met Pat Flynn, I feel like I know you because I listen to their shows, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there's a show called The Real Estate Radio Guys. I listened to them for a year before I started our podcast. And like, I feel like I know them, right? So because when people know you, when you build trust with somebody, you can then sell things to them. And so we have a pro membership and that really took off because of the podcast. Almost everybody who upgrades to our pro membership on the site, which we have, I mean, tens of thousands now of pros, almost everyone, we survey them, listen to the podcast. It's almost without fail. Do you listen yeah. to the podcast in our survey? Yes. I think it's like literally like 98%, yeah. right? That listen to the podcast. When people buy my book, like, or any of the books, I think they buy them because they listen to the podcast. So we started doing webinars, which are like live podcasts, right? In a way, right, like right. I've done one every single week. I've only missed one week in three and a half years now. And wow. I do one very similar to John Lee Dumas, how he runs his. Like, but I mean, I do them every single week and I teach a new topic. Every week's a new topic. I cycle through maybe eight to 10 of them and revamp them each time. But that was a result of the podcast. People already know and like me and trust me. And then they come to the webinar and then there I can show them our software. We're essentially a software company, Bigger Pockets. As much as people think of us as an education company, we actually make our money from software. And so that's what the webinar does. We teach the education for free and then sell them on software. And it's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What about like all the different connections that you've been able to bring in, into like 
that community, not just the connections that you're making with people that are in your audience, but connections to people that you're bringing on to the show. Like how valuable is the knowledge that you extract from the guests that you have on and how valuable are those connections to some of those key influencers? Yeah, good question. You know, podcasting, it's been fantastic for like, one, I get to talk to these people who are legit real estate investors, most of them, right? I mean, like just doing way more than I ever thought I could do. And you know, the whole, like you are the average of the people you associate with the most. Like my average climbed by talking with people on the podcast. So yeah. for almost for no yeah. other reason than that, starting a podcast is fantastic just for talking to people who are where you want to be. And so I've learned a ton. Like, for example, there's this thing I teach a lot lately in real estate. And we don't have to go real in depth in it, but this idea, well, I call it the LAPS funnel, L-A-P-S. And it stands for, if you want to succeed in real estate, you got to get leads. You got to analyze them to determine how much it's worth. Then you got to pursue those leads, you know, the ones like at whatever number you think you can buy them for. And then you get success once in a while. So in other words, leads, analyze, pursue, success, LAPS, right? And what I realized is after interviewing dozens and then eventually hundreds of people, every single investor on the planet does this. The <laughs> same process, right? You might get one lead, analyze one deal, make one offer, you know, pursue it, make one offer and then get it successfully. Like, great, like a newbie can do that. But the guys that are doing 10, 15, 20 deals a month, they're all doing this exact same funnel, but they know it. Like they recognize, they don't call it the laps funnel. I'm a marketer, so I throw a name behind it right now. It's mine. But this idea that everyone's doing the same funnel. The people who are successful are doing the funnel because they recognize it and they track it. And so it's things like that that I picked up on from these people. And it's been just invaluable to my life because once I was able to put words to what they were doing, now my business, my workload dropped, I mean, tenfold. Yeah. Right. And it became right. very clear and simple. And uh, now I can teach other people kind of the same, that, that simple process of what those people were doing. Right. Like you almost become, you become like an investigator, you know, yeah. like it's been the coolest journey just because like for me, when I started my show, I wasn't like an avid networker. I hadn't even really been to any business events. Like I didn't know, like I didn't really know how to do it. I just knew that it was a really important thing. And yeah. to my surprise, there wasn't really any shows out there that actually like focused 100% of their time and energy to talking about it. So when I started the show, it was literally totally selfish. It was just like, I want to learn how to network better. Yep. Like, I want to learn how to connect with people better. And then as a byproduct of that, I got to like literally do what I was teaching while I was doing it because I'm learning from people on a... I mean, we're doing... For the first year of, of the show until like a few weeks ago, we're doing three episodes a week and all of them were interviews. So literally 150 interviews in the first like 12 months of just like talking to people, talking to people, talking to people. How do you network better? How do you network better? And then uh, and then being able to connect with them on a call when most people probably wouldn't... Like when somebody asks you, Brandon, like, hey, can I pick your brain? You're like, hey, my time is stretched. Like I need yeah. to maximize my time. Right. But then if I sit down and I'm like, Hey, Brandon, can you come on a podcast? It's like, yeah. well, now I can make time for that because you have a platform and it's yeah. not just me and you talking. It's me and you talking with a bunch of other people listening in on the conversation, which yeah. helps you be able to promote your brand and push it forward and give me an excuse to talk to somebody that I want to learn from and connect with. Yeah, that's very so. true. In fact, the, one of the books Gary Vaynerchuk wrote, I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the recent books that he came out with. In there, when I was reading it, he talked about how he sells his time incredibly cheap when it comes to book promotion. So he says that in there because like he'll, if I wanted to go and pick Gary Vaynerchuk's brain, right, he's going to charge me $50,000 to do yeah. that for an hour, yeah. right? But when he's got a book coming out, he will do that for a few thousand dollars, a few hundred dollars, you know, like right, free right. to come on a podcast. So like at, based on that, I was like, oh, that's such good advice, right? So I realized like, I can use that. And so that's how we started getting bigger uh, guests. So like we grabbed Gary Vaynerchuk for the same thing. Like, right. I saw on Twitter when, and this is just a, a tip that I do now, every on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever. If I hear that somebody has a book coming out, 
boom, instantly I go over and pitch that person to come on our show. So mm-hmm. using that, we got, you know, I got Ryan Holiday, got Tim Ferriss, got Gary Vaynerchuk, people that I look up to a lot. And like our audience, honestly, those shows aren't even the biggest shows for BP. Like the biggest shows for BP are like the brand new guy who bought 10 deals his first year and is mm-hmm. crushing it. That's relatable. Right, but for right. me, I love talking to Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk and Jay Papazan, the author of The One Thing. Like those guys, yeah. like I love that. And it builds me as a person. And I mean, our audience likes it too, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. having something to offer and, and that's a good way to kind of connect with those people. Yeah, totally, totally. I actually just like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I was, I was in Austin interviewing Jay at the Keller Williams headquarters and yep. I, I listened to your guys' interview to prep for that. It was fantastic. But yeah, totally. Like you, <laughs> it's, you get to help a bunch of other people while you also are being a little bit selfish and just connecting yeah. with people that are intriguing to you and that you want to yep. learn from. But it, it also, and if you can touch on this for a second too, Brandon, because you've experienced this on an exponential level comparatively to me, it also puts you on a different level in those people's minds. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Can you yeah. kind of expound on that a little bit? Because I think that a lot of people, like if you reach out and you're like, I'm a huge fan and I just want a picture with you at our next event. And like, I, like you're putting yourself in a different category immediately in their mind, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Can you kind of talk into that? Yeah. I actually make a deliberate point never to ask for a photo with anybody ever. Because as soon as I ask, and I'm not saying you, people listening to this shouldn't ask for photos. Photos are great and they're great for social media and all that. But like, like for example, I ran into Tim Ferriss once in a hotel lobby. So I'm to go back to the networking, how like you meet one person, they connect you with another, another, right? So I became friends with, somehow I became friends with Noah Kagan, who runs like sumo.com and yeah. super, you know, we talk about super connectors sometimes. There's people that just know everybody. Mm-hmm. Noah Kagan is a super connector. He knows everybody in the world, I feel like. So me and Noah became friends. And then we're at a, a bar in a Denver hotel. And he's like, hey, you know, you know Tim, right? And I'm like, Tim, Tim, Fer- yeah, he's right over there. So like he introduced me to Tim. If I would have walked up and be like, oh my gosh, Tim Ferriss, can I get a picture? <laughs> it would have been very different from Noah saying, hey, this is Brandon. He's got that huge podcast. You guys should talk. And so then we talked for a while and ended up him coming on the show after that because I was a, maybe not a peer, but I was a tool. Sounds bad, right? But I was a, <laughs> something that could provide value to them. Right. Like I was something that they see as, as an equal. And again, that sounds so bad because it sounds like there's a hierarchy, but right. it's just like, yeah, there are, You've got to stand out. And if you bug for pictures and you want to be that guy, that's fine. But you're going to look like that guy. Right. That's You're going to have a bunch of pictures and no relationships. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I want the relationships with those people. I want to be able to text them or call them if I need to, because they see me as a, or ask for advice or they see me as a peer. Yeah. Uh, They they see you as somebody that can actually add value to them, not just like another person to like take a picture. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's where I was going. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 